Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Empire. Welcome to Inside the Cap. I'm your host, Joel Corey. You can find me on Twitter at Corey Joel. That is C-O-R-R-Y-J-O-E-L. Also, you can read my regular CBS Sports column, Agent's Take. Um, it's on salary cap and contract matters. These two are going to look at a couple of things. One, salary cap logistics at the start of the regular season. The T.J. Watt situation and Mark Andrews, Ravens tight end, signed a blockbuster deal. Uh, yesterday, making one of the highest-paid players at the tight end position. First up, um, salary cap logistics. At the start of the league year, which was March 17th at 4 p.m. Eastern time this year, only top 51 salary cap numbers count during the offseason. Um, this extends up until the start of the regular season. Um, midnight Eastern time, Thursday, September 9th, everything starts counting. That means... Everyone on your roster, the 53-man roster counts. Everyone who's on IR, everyone who's on the physically unable to perform list, people who are on a non-football injury illness list count, and everyone who's on your practice squad. Practice squad this year can be 16 players, and there are two tiers of salary. Players who have, uh, they can have unlimited accrued seasons and be on the practice squad. They're making $14,000 a week. Everybody else is at 9200 uh, $9, um, per week. So if you have the maximum amount of practice squad, and practice squad players get paid over the course of the regular season, which is now 18 weeks, and they don't get playoff money, they get the regular salary. During the playoffs, if their team extends that far, practice squad salaries are no longer negotiable, at least this year. Sets the set amount. So if you had the 10 players at the 9,200 per week and then you're six at 14,000 per week, and that was what your practice squad was for the year, that's going to take up $3.168 million of money. Now, when we talk about the switch from top 51 to everyone counting, it can be a four to six million dollar swing, uh, depending upon um, how your team is set up, how many people on PUP, IR, etc. That's why recently you've started to see teams do contract restructures in anticipation of the increased cap amount with the switch from top 51 to everyone. Now. The teams that are tightest against the cap are the ones who have to do the restructures. And one of the first ones we saw of note a couple of weeks ago was Ezekiel Elliott. Cowboys converted $8.6 million of his $9.6 million base salary and a signing bonus. Um, cap number for 2021 goes from 13.7 to $6.82 million, And it increases his 2022 to 25 cap numbers by $1.72 million each. Now, Ezekiel Elliott did not have a great year last year. Um, didn't reach a thousand yards, 
uh, for the first time when he's been healthy, averaged like 66 rushing yards per game when up until this up until last year he'd been close to 100 yards per game, so like 95, 96. Big drop-off, ball security issues, had multiple fumbles. So he needs to bounce back. And if he doesn't, when you kick the can down the road, the consequences. So Dallas, if they release him next year in a conventional manner, $17.68 million in dead money. When before, you'd have 10.8. So nominal savings if you do a conventional release, $540,000 versus 5.7 if you um, had not touched this contract. Now, obviously they can do a post-June 1 um, designation and split the cap hit into two years was $5.82 million of dead money and $11.86 million of dead money in 2023. And by dead money, um, most of you who would listen to something like this would know that's a salary cap charge for a player no longer on the roster. Now, teams have tried to make these restructures as easy as possible for them. And what they've done is they've built in, really in the last... 10 years more so than anything else, a discretionary right to convert uh, money into signing bonus. And the reason teams have done that is before you had to go to, um, before this right was built into contracts, you'd have to go to each individual agent when you wanted to restructure a contract and get them to agree to that. Now, when I was an agent, to me, you're asking me to do you a favor. And I'm generally wasn't in the business of doing favors. So I would want something. One, I'm not going to be any worse off than if I did nothing. And two, uh, worst case scenario, if I am converting money, I want a lump sum payment now. I don't want this money to be paid like it is over the regular season. And I really wanted you to do a nominal raise for the trouble. Got cursed out by a cap guy once who was someone I really respect and is one of the best in the business who's still working because of that. Now, that's why teams got smart and started sticking this discretionary right to convert money uh, to signing bonus. And basically what this, what the provisions uh, say is they just have to give, for the most part, written notice to the agent and the conversion has to take place well, you execute a new contract, and typically the the money is paid like it would have been if you hadn't done a conversion in, in base salary. And if the player doesn't um, execute a new contract, then it's considered a material breach. Now, that only works, the clause works when you do a simple restructure. When you're going to start adding voiding dummy years in, like... Um, teams have had to do this year because the cap dropped 15.7 million uh, from last year then you actually have to go to the player uh, the agent and have a negotiation because you're principally changing the term as opposed to what is in this discretionary uh, right provision so when you add dummy years you do have to actually start talking to the agent again and we've seen the teams which are tightest against the cap um, make these restructures. The Colts did it with Ryan Kelly, um, did it did a restructure as well, where they um, converted nine million of his ten million dollar base salary and picked up six point seven five million of uh, cap space 
Raiders did it with uh, Yannick Ngakwe, added two dummy voiding years to his, um, converted uh, $10 million to pick up $8 million of cap space. The Buccaneers uh, did the same with uh, Mike Evans. Julio Jones, um, Titans today converted um, $14 million of his $15.3 million salary and a signing bonus to get $11.2 million of space added to voiding dummy years to the contract. Bears did it with Jimmy Graham, added four voiding dummy years, converted $5.825 million to get $4.66 million of space. Um, Cowboys uh, converted $6.25 million of Dak salaries, base salary, and a signing bonus to get $5 million of, of, of space out of, the, out of the deal. The Mike Evans case is, is interesting, uh, not because of this particular restructure. Um, and, and he's a case where they added, uh, he was under contract through 2023, so they added two dummy voiding years, and they're picking up $8.94 million of space. What's interesting with Mike Evans is he's like their go-to restructure guy. He signed his contract in, I believe, March 2018 is when he got his extension. They did something unusual in 2019. I, I don't think I've ever seen before with these restructures. Into March, converted $3 million uh, into signing bonus. Then... Middle of June, converted $4 million into signing bonus. Then, right before the regular season started in September 2019, converted another $2 million. I've never seen a team do three separate restructures in the same year. That you can do. Now, if you have a negotiation where you uh, raise, have a salary increase, then there's generally a rule where there's a one-year period before there's a renegotiation. Now, there's something called you can do it, give a guy a raise if his aggregate cap numbers for the remaining years don't increase. So there's a work around that. But this Mike Evans thing, um, highly unusual in terms of uh, what you see um, with the restructure. So you're going to see more restructures probably coming um, up until Thursday and then maybe after Thursday um, as well um, when teams need cap room. But this is really the major time for when you see um, contract restructures. So Thursday, midnight, Eastern time, top 51 expires. Everything starts counting. So the cap charges for teams are going to increase. Could be as much as six, seven million with the convert with the the change in the salary cap accounting and that's why you see these restructures which have been going on for the past two weeks and have picked up steam this week another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help for your financial to-dos bank of america has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals get started at one of our local financial centers or 24 7 in our mobile banking app Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. TJ Watt and the Pittsburgh Steelers have still been unable to reach an agreement on a new contract. Uh, Watt is holding in. Um, 
instead of accruing a fine since he's on his fifth year option, which would have been $40,000 per day, and forgivable since he's on his fifth year option, as opposed to a veteran contract, and a fine of one week's salary for each preseason game he's been holding in since the start of training camp, uh, where he's selectively participating in practice, where he does individual work, he's in cardiovascular shape, not necessarily in football shape, not doing any team stuff. Um, Dwayne Brown had been doing the same thing all at training camp. He returned to practice yesterday in Seattle. T.J. Watt did not return to practice. Now, there are a couple obstacles to this deal um, besides the money. Um, T.J. Watt should become the highest paid defensive player in the NFL if a deal gets done, which I anticipate will be done before Sunday when the Steelers play the Bills. Now, Pittsburgh is one of these teams which, one, doesn't do deals early. By that I mean some teams will do deals two years before a contract's up. Steelers, for the most part, do it in their contract year. Ben Roethlisberger's first extension was done with two years. Um, They really haven't done that since when Antonio Brown was underpaid. When he had three years left, wanted a new deal. They advanced money from future years. Two years left, he wanted a new deal, advanced money from future years. Only when he reached his contract year did they give him a new deal. So that's kind of made it a compressed negotiation. But still, you've had all offseason to get this thing done. Um, Two, Pittsburgh is in the dark ages in terms of contract structure. There are three teams which... The only true guaranteed money in contracts is signing bonus. Uh, That's the Steelers, that's the Bengals, and that's the Packers. So what they do in lieu of base salary guarantees is they'll give you a roster bonus, March roster bonus, third or fifth day of the league year in years two and three if warranted depending upon the size of the contract, to try to make up for the lack of guarantees. Doesn't necessarily work, because there was a case a couple of years ago, Nick Perry had a pretty substantial roster bonus, got cut, never saw that before the roster bonus was due. So you're still at more risk with this structure. Pittsburgh's made one exception. They gave Ben Roethlisberger injury guarantees. They've consistently done that with his extensions. Green Bay makes one exception to this. Aaron Rodgers, every extension he's had, has had conventional salary guarantees. Um, Other than that, these teams don't do that. Uh, Fortunately, Pittsburgh's not a major player in free agency. It probably cost them a player going this route. Um, Green Bay, selective free agency, same with um, Cincinnati. Um, they were able to get in Green Bay, the Smith brothers, a couple of years ago using this structure. This structure was a holdup with uh, Le'Veon Bell when he was franchised the second time. He wanted a conventional structure and had a franchise tag of, a, of over $14 million. He didn't play under it. <laughs> uh, he sat out the whole year because he didn't want a conventionally Pittsburgh structured deal. Now, teams don't like 
to change their contract conventions or what they're accustomed to doing because they don't like setting a new precedent. So, I, if I had a dollar for every time I heard we can't do something because of a precedent because every other player down the road is going to come and it opened the floodgates, I could have bought an NFL franchise by now. I never found it persuasive. Because teams should be able to distinguish between one situation from the other. Um, The -the run-of-the-mill player, if they gave T.J. Watt a conventionally structured deal, should not have standing to come in and go do it for me. Because T.J. Watt led the NFL in sacks last year. And significant amount of people think he should have been defensive player of the year, which went to Aaron Donald. So when you're talking defensive player of the year, caliber player, that could be your market, your line of marcation or MVP caliber player on offense, or you're talking all pro player, something that could be where you would treat those players one way versus everybody else. Now, Pittsburgh probably has a media concern about doing something structurally different for TJ Watt. And that is, Nick Fitzpatrick, who's been to two Pro Bowls, been to multiple Pro Bowls, so he, his fifth-year option is going to be his franchise, uh, this year's franchise number uh, for safeties. That'd be the one they'd have to be concerned about next year. If they do something for Watt, which deviates what they're doing, Minka Fitzpatrick's going to go, hey, I'm in this category. you got to do it for me. So I understand I don't agree with the whole blanket, we can't do something for precedent, but... Yeah, there's an immediate guy where it could uh, impact um, Pittsburgh. Now, if I'm the agent and I have to deal with your structure, you're going to pay me a premium on the deal and the cash flow. Otherwise, we are not getting anything done. We are not doing the Joey Bosa cash flow. If I did a five-year deal... And you were going to do me like Joey Bosa. And Bosa is the standard for non-quarterbacks in terms of guarantees and fully guaranteed at signing. Bosa has $102 million overall guarantees. $78 million was fully guaranteed at signing. So basically the first three years of his deal. And then there's a guarantee in the year four. So their four, first four years out of the six years is a five-year extension have guarantees. So Pittsburgh's not going to do, unless they deviate and make this change, he's not getting the Bosa structure. And if you're not going to give me the Bosa structure and Bosa's at $27 million per year, then let's say if we're talking doing your type of structure, the Bosa structure, then yeah, maybe you could get me a 28.5 a year. And I'd take that structure. If you're not going to do that structure, I want 30 because I'm not going to be, I'm going to be more at risk because you're not going to have my first three years fully guaranteed at signing. So if I got to assume the risk, you got to pay me more. Um, Watt's supposed to play on a fifth year option of 10.089 million. Um, so one thing you'd have to do is give me the biggest signing bonus ever for a non-quarterback. Right now, that is Aaron Donald's $40 million. So um, you're not going to get any cap relief out of your um, 2021 
if you're going to go with your structure, I'm not going to give any cap relief. I want a $45 million signing bonus. We can drop my base to $1.089 million, and cap number would stay the same. Yeah, obviously some of that's going to be deferred. I'm not going to get all of it now. But also, if we're doing your structure, which nobody else does but Green Bay and Cincinnati, then I want the cash flow, if we're talking five-year deal, to be exaggerated. It's got to be quarterback-type cash flow. And if you look at the best cash flow percentages on a five-year deal, we're talking Derek Carr, Matt Ryan, um, Matthew Stafford on their five-year extensions. So then we're talking about through the first new year, I want like 37% of the money. Through the second new year, I want like uh, 52% of the money. Through the third new year, I want like 67 68%. Through the fourth new year, I'm going to want like 83%. Now, how do these percentages stack up to BOSA? BOSA after the first first new year is at 31.4%. After the second new year, 47.1%. After the third new year, 64.9%. Then 81.2% after the fourth new year. So you're going to have to exaggerate the cash flow um, as well. And if we're talking $150 million over five years, then through the first new year, I'm going to want 55.5 million or something in that of new money. Second new year, I'm going to want like 78. Um, third new year, I'm going to want like 100 million. So that means the first three new years are going to average like 33.3 million per year. Um, Bosa's nowhere close to that um, on his 27 million dollar uh, per year deal. After the first three new years, he's at $29,213,332 per year. So it'd be dramatically more. Fourth new year, I want to be averaging $31 million per year. I want to be at like $123, $124. So Pittsburgh's going to have, they want to preserve their precedence. To me, if you want a deal done, you're going to have to be accommodating in other areas to get this deal done. Now, what really get interesting is if there isn't a deal done by Sunday, is TJ Watt going to sit out? Because they probably had the right to fine him because uh, he is refusing to, to give his services by not playing, by not practicing fully, and setting himself up for conduct detrimental. And the way conduct detrimental now works with the progressive discipline first time, you discipline someone, it's 40% of the max. Second time, it's 7% of the max. Third time, 100% of the max. You can give warnings instead of uh, fines. And if you gave two warnings, you could go immediately to uh, 100% discipline. The max fine for conduct detrimental is one week's salary and or a four-week suspension. And the suspensions are without pay. That's the max. So you could do something lower than that. Um, and suspend him. If I'm the Steelers, T.J. Watt don't want to play, I'm suspending him for conduct detrimental. And I'm going to suspend him each week he doesn't play, separate conduct detrimental offense. If he don't like it and he wants to file a grievance, go ahead. That's your prerogative. Um, but hopefully he doesn't get to that, and I expect the deal to get done by Sunday. And we'll see if he gets to $30 million per year. That's what I'd want if I had to stick to your structure. But I do anticipate he's going to be the highest paid,
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Final thing, um, we had one tight end yesterday, Dallas Goddard, who thought he would have a deal done by now. Um, negotiations have been tabled by the Eagles. Also thought Zach Ertz wouldn't be on the roster, but he now, at least publicly, is saying he wants to retire as an Eagle, and he's put everything in the past. Um, Goddard, Goddard, by not getting his deal done, actually now may be better off because Mark Andrews yesterday um, signed a – four-year extension for $56 million, averaging $14 million per year. Makes him the third highest paid tight end in um, NFL history. Uh, George Kittle's at $15 million. Travis Kelsey's at $14.25 million. There's $37.583 million in guarantees, $30.083 million fully guaranteed at signing. The guarantees do not surprise me. Um, Baltimore typically does strong guarantees. Um, the only veteran um, quarterback or more um, veteran, should say tight end, of more fully guaranteed at signing is Jonu Smith's $31.25 million. Actually, Kyle Pitts' rookie contract, by, which is a byproduct of his draft position, fourth, almost $33 million is fully guaranteed. That's the most for a tight end, but that's a whole different animal because it's slotted by his draft position. Overall guarantees, um, Andrews is... Second to Kittle's $40 million. And the reason I say the guarantees were expected, um, because of what the Ravens did of Ronnie Stanley. Um, Ronnie Stanley, most guarantees and most fully guaranteed at signing for an offensive lineman. A um, little over $65.5 million in overall guarantees and slightly under 59 in Mount fully guaranteed at signing. Marlon Humphrey, second overall guarantees for a corner at just under 67. Slightly under 40, fully guaranteed, makes him third at the cornerback position. As with um, Ronnie Stanley and Marlon Humphrey, the Ravens used the signing bonus option bonus structure, which is something they'd gotten away from and then brought it back uh Last year, they did that with Joe Flacco, and that structure forced them to have to redo a deal after three years to use two option bonuses. And option bonuses are prorated, like signing bonus. An option bonus is really a bonus in the second or third year to exercise a later year of the contract. Usually, and it's usually the last year of the contract. And in um, Andrew's case, there's a $15.5 million option bonus, which is going to get prorated. Um, 2022 through 2025. So the two sets of proration, the signing bonus proration and the option bonus proration. Um, Now, back to Dallas Goddard. Goddard should reap the benefit of this deal. First of all, first thing is (laughs) he's got to outperform Zach Ertz, but nonetheless, he's, uh, which hasn't happened yet (laughs) um, in his three years uh, when they're both healthy. Uh, But we saw Jonu Smith and Hunter Henry signed for $12.5 million per year in free agency to go to 
Patriots. They've never put up monster tight end numbers. Goddard's been more productive than they've ever been. Um, so that's his floor. Uh, he puts it all together. Um, he could conceivably get more than Andrews. $14 million per year. Um, I would think worst case scenario is he gets franchised next year. I've got the tight end number projecting to 5.253% of the cap. There's a salary cap ceiling of $208.2 million. Um, at that ceiling, in this percentage, I've got the tight end franchise number of $10.936 million. Now, a bunch of tight ends coming down the road um, should benefit from this deal. Goddard, uh, TJ Hawkinson, who went to the Pro Bowl last year, uh, comes to mind. Um, the Lions tight end. Now, one guy who is extremely underpaid given the market, and this was a smart move by the Raiders two years ago when Darren Waller first started to emerge. Halfway through his breakout season, they did an extension with him where he was still an exclusive rights player, would have been a restricted free agent in 2020 and unrestricted free agent in 2021. They identified him as someone who could be a stud, and that's what he's become. Last year, 107 catches, 1,196 uh, receiving yards, nine uh, receiving touchdowns. So he is an elite tight end. He gave up three unrestricted years, which average a little over $9 million per year. He's under contract through 2023. Waller turns 29 on Monday. So um, we'll see if the Raiders eventually adjust this, but that was a smart move to identify him and be proactive in that always goes back to what I've said and what I've noticed throughout my many years being involved in the NFL that the longer you wait to sign a core player, the more it costs you. Raiders did a great job. Waller got him very cheap. Had they waited, let him get through the season, given that Austin Hooper became the first tight end over $10 million per year, $10.5 million average on his free agency deal to go to the Browns from the Falcons. Waller would be over that had he played through the 2019 season and then gotten an RFA tender in 2020. I understand why he took the money, given where he was coming from. And Raiders, smart move. Uh, That's going to be it for this week's Inside the Cap. Uh, Don't forget, you can find me on Twitter at Corey Joel. That is C-O-R-R-Y. J-O-E-L, and also read my regular CBSSports.com agent's take. Um, Thanks for listening, and we'll see you back here next time. Goodbye.